Thank you to all of our veterans. Again, you give me the freedom to be able to stand up here and share with you what I'm going to share with you today. You know, today is, at least for this moment, the last in the sermon series that we have called Behind the Curtain. I want to try to wrap this up today and, um, and pull this together with some of the things that I honestly began with, or at least got me into the study. And you can agree with me, you can disagree with me, that's okay. Please. We can disagree about specifics. There's absolutely every ability and opportunity. I'm not going to share with you today just because I'm, I'm, I'm demanding that you would believe exactly what I'm saying in all the specifics of what we're talking about. I'm saying I'm going to present to you what I believe to be truth and then I'm going to ask you to wrestle with it with God. That the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. Amen. Yeah, again, we can disagree and we can still be family. We can disagree. Thank God we can disagree and still be family. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd all be orphans. So we can disagree, and you can disagree. I'm going to talk to you about some challenging things today. And um, you can disagree. That's okay. I can, it, I'm, I can disagree with you. But the one thing we really can't disagree on is the fact that we're at war. We are in a battle. And the Word of God very clearly tells us that we have been given weapons and we need to take those weapons and we need to use those weapons because there is warfare that's happening. And we are at war with what is happening behind the curtain and how it's manifesting on this side of the curtain in the culture and the world in which we live. And if the church lays down and stops fighting and just gives up and quits and puts our head in the sand, then we will stand before God one day and we'll have to answer for why didn't you stand up and fight with the weapons that I gave you to fight with? What did you think I gave them to you for? And we'll stand before him one day. And as I've been telling you, the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened. The Bible tells us what always happens. It tells us what happens all the time. And what we see in the days of Elijah was that there was, behind the curtain, there were spiritual forces that were at work, and they were manifesting in the culture in which Elijah lived. And it was for a long time that many of the prophets and the religious people laid down and didn't make a stand. But Elijah stood up. And so my, my rhetorical question is, what would Elijah do in this day? Because not only does God tell us in the Bible what happened, but what always happens, he tells us what always will happen in that spiritual realm, that spiritual attack, but he also tells us what will happen as the man of God, the woman of God, those anointed of God, stand up and begin to declare, thus saith the Lord. So not only does he give us what happens in the dark side, he also tells us what will always happen in the light side. So what would Elijah do? We've been going through 1 Kings, looking at 1 Kings. We started in chapter 11. I'm going to go through, in fact, we'll even move into a little bit of Elisha today, looking at some of the things that are going on in the culture of that day. Because one of the things that we'll see, in, if you read through those scriptures, you'll begin to notice it like you've never noticed it before. But you'll see it from the very beginning of time. God creates... Satan counterfeits. Satan cannot create. He is a created being. He himself is created. He can't create any more than you and I can create. He is a created being. God is the creator. What Satan does is he counterfeits what God creates. And church, 
Satan's counterfeits, when, they, when we are led by the counterfeit, when we begin to believe and follow after the counterfeit, what will happen every time is it will lead us to what's called syncretism. Syncretism is where we begin to take the things of God and blend it together with the things that are not of God. The things that are of God and the things that are anti-God. When we begin to take the things that God says, do this, and then the things that he says, don't do that, and we begin to blend them together. And when that happens, when we begin to worship in syncretism, we begin to worship at an altar that God's not at. We begin to be the church that Matthew 7 talks about. The church that stands before God and says, God, we were in church. We did this and we did that. And we did all these other things. And he says, away from me, I, I don't know you. Why? Because you've been worshiping at the altar of syncretism and bringing things into God that God never allowed or intended to be brought into him. Amen. Amen. Come on, stay with me. We're on the easy stuff right now. <laughs> and syncretism, when we fall for that, syncretism will lead us every time to fall for, the, for apostasy. Apostasy will lead us. Apostasy is where we begin to fight on one side. and we, It's like we stand up in church and go, yeah, all right, good, good, awesome. And then Pastor Mark brings a message that confronts the cultural things in our life that we don't really want to stand against and we kind of have adopted those things and we've said, decided that that stuff's okay. And we I don't, I'm not going to a church like that. They're so bigoted. You will start to fight on the side that's antichrist. And that is the apostasy. And 2 Thessalonians 2 calls it the great falling away. How could that happen? How could that great falling away happen? Because in the apostasy happening in people's lives, because they fell for syncretism that happened at the hands of the devil who was counterfeiting what God created. So I hope that makes sense. Yes. Come on, amen. All right, if it doesn't, go back. This is the seventh sermon in the series. So go back and listen to some of the ones before this. And, and I, I went through all that in detail. Next, we talked about Ahab and Jezebel. These Ahab and Jezebel spirit. The Ahab and Jezebel spirit flies a rainbow flag. I'm not going to be apologetic about that. Ahab, the Ahab spirit is a passive spirit. The Jezebel spirit is a domineering spirit. Do they only attack men or only attack women? No. They, a Jezebel spirit, an Ahab spirit, will attack anyone. Will oppress anyone. But God made us male and female. He made us, come on, he made us different. Not better, not worse. He made us different. And so the Ahab spirit is just more geared towards or fits with the temperament or the way in which God made a male. So most of the time, the Ahab spirit is going to, again, you know, the enemy's not dumb. So he might be a dummy, but he's not dumb. So he, the Ahab spirit normally goes after men. The Jezebel spirit normally goes after women because that's where they're most effective. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, as, as Scripture talks about this Jezebel spirit, and Jesus says this to the church at Thyatira, he says in verse 20, he says, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. 
You tolerate. You, tolerance is demonic. Okay, just, I mean, tolerance, in, in the way in which we're talking about it, is demonic. Tolerance is the counterfeit of repentance. We in the church begin to tolerate the things that God says, repent. We begin to tolerate and make acceptable the things that God says, repent. Repent means stop doing it and turn away from it and start doing what I've called you to. Yet we just tolerate. So, those are the things, that, it's just kind of a recap to bring us to where we are today and what I want to finish with. And my next point is this, that the Jezebel spirit, Jezebel is a transgender spirit that castrates men. And the Ahab spirit is the spirit that makes us afraid to stand up to it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Don't. <laughs> I know, so many things come to mind. Don't let any of them happen right now. Let me read to you in 2 Kings, and I'll explain. In 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 22, it, it, it talks about here Joram. Joram is, a, is the king of Israel. He's the anointed, he's the king, he is king of Israel. So when Joram saw Jehu, Jehu was an Israelite warrior, and Jehu had been anointed by Elisha to become the king. And Elisha had come to Jehu and anointed him, called him to be king, and said, I want you, you need to go kill Joram. And so Jehu is on his way to go kill Joram, the king of Israel, and he's on his way to Jezreel because Jezreel, in Jezreel is where uh, Joram and Ahaziah were there. The king of Israel, the king of Judah, they were both in Jezreel. And he, Jehu was on his way. They knew he was coming. So they send out these different messengers and don't get the right answer. And so finally Jehu and Ahaziah go out to meet with Jehu. And they say, this is what he says. He says, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace can there be so long as the whorings and sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Church, when there is a Jezebel spirit at work, there will never be peace. You will find that in that spirit, there will be no peace in, in our community. There will be no peace in our church. There will be no peace in our homes. We, we will have a hard time finding that peace. And he says, what peace can there be so long as the whorings and sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Whorings and sorceries. We've got the sexual and the spiritual. And he says, as long as these sexual and spiritual things are being brought together, and they are always brought together in this kind of sin, in this kind of attack, they are always going to flow together. Again, one of the ways in which the enemy gets us tricked up and, and getting to do things is when we start making sex spiritual. It is spiritual. Inside of the confines in which God gave us as the guardrails for which marriage and sexual relationship was intended to be, that it is spiritual warfare. Outside of that, it is demonic warfare, and it comes at a price. So they go together. And so what happens is that um, Joram and Ahaziah, they're, they're scared of Jehu. Jehu kills Joram, and then he shoots and eventually kills Ahaziah. And then he goes to Jezreel because he's also, he's supposed to go 
He's told by the man of God to go. He was anointed to kill Jezebel. And so in verse 30, it says, when Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. She heard this was happening. This man's standing up to me. And she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three of the eunuchs looked out at him. So Jehu has been anointed by Elisha, anointed, and he's coming to kill Jezebel. Let me just tell you that what this speaks of is not the cruelty of God. It talks about how serious this Jezebel spirit is. That God, he's saying, you know what? Don't toy with it. Don't play with it. Go kill the spirit that's at work. And he sends Jehu to confront Jezebel. And so he's coming into the city and he's going to confront Jezebel. And what does she do? She goes to the beauty parlor and gets her hair done. Gets her makeup all pretty and put on. Painted her face. Why? Because Jezebel, this spirit is all about seduction. You know what she wanted to do? The Jezebel spirit in her wanted to seduce the man of God. She wanted to seduce Jehu. And this is what will happen, church. She's hoping maybe she can get him in bed. Maybe she can change this by getting him, you know, by compromising him. It's a place where, again, we see it over and over and over again. You can see it in, the, in our modern day. There's these the Jezebel spirits will come in the uh, oppression or the oppression of a woman and, and come against leadership, come against leaders of all sorts and all sizes and all kinds, come against leaders in the church, come against pastors and, and try to bring seduction church leaders, ministry leaders. The spirit will come trying to seduce. Look, you know what the spirit's trying to do? That spirit loves to seduce church leaders and leadership and those in ministry positions because that spirit wants to seduce those that God anointed to confront her. Amen, Pastor Mark. (laughs) So Jehu comes to confront Jezebel and she paints her eyes, adorns her hair and she was surrounded by what? Her eunuchs. They go to arrest Jezebel and all the men around her, eunuchs. Know what that means? They were castrated. All the men around her. They go to arrest, they're castrated. Look, church, say it. To serve the Jezebel spirit as a man means that you need to be castrated. You know, again, it does not mean, does not mean physically as the place, you know, that, look, there are a lot of ways in which our man card can be taken. There are a lot of ways in which we can give it up. That's so chauvinistic. It can have a lot of meanings, and there's a lot of things that we can do with that. There's a lot of ways in which the Jezebel spirit is castrating men. And one of those ways today is what we call gender dysphoria. 
Gender dysphoria, dysphoria is where I say, okay, I have a body, but my mind doesn't feel in harmony with my body. There's this problem. So I'm going to say something, and, and I'm gonna, I know that this is a very politically incorrect, politically charged statement. Just in case you didn't know, I am a man. I was born one. I grew up as one. I will die as one. Just wanted to make that clear. But if, let's just say, pretend, I'm a man, but in my mind, I was a female. I, I, I would say that I'm a female trapped in a man's body. That, that's the way in which we look at that today. So that means there's this lack of harmony, this lack of blending between my mind and my body. My mind thinks one thing, my body tells me another thing. There's this problem that's going on. So one of two things have to change. Either my mind has to change or my body has to change. God says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind. The Bible talks about the transforming of our mind. That we are called by Scripture to take every thought captive and make it obedient to who? To make it obedient unto Christ. We are talked about, the Bible talks about over and over again, the renewing of your mind and all of these things about changing our mind. And what does the devil do? The devil comes along and says, nah, you know what? No, you know what? We need to change your body. God creates, Satan counterfeits. It's demonic. And church, I, you know, I, I started, as I said, I'm finishing with the things that I started on when I started to really look into all of this. And, and one of the things that I had never really thought that much about, but I, I found that it's absolutely true, and, and man, scholar after scholar after scholar, all the places that I read totally agree with this fact that the, the demonic or the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm that's you know, behind the curtain, is a transgender realm. Okay, the spirits are non-binary. The spirits that are at work, the spirits that are going on, they're on the spectrum. And God, when he created mankind, he says he created us in his image. How did he do that? He said he created us in his image, male and female. That's what he did. He created us male and female, and that is in his image. And I, how that all works and how that will all play out and how that all looks in the end, I don't know. I know the word of God says he, we were created in the image of God, and he created us male and female. This non-binary spiritual realm in the demonic wants to what? They want to recreate us in their image. To take this away from God's creation. And if you're going to serve the Jezebel spirit, you're going to have to be castrated. You're going to become defiant of the God-assigned gender, the God-assigned sex, and the God-assigned role that is included in that. 
Church, I believe that behind all of this, you'll see throughout history, the spirit of Jezebel is at work in this. In this world in which we live, in this culture that we live, it is, is absolutely this Jezebel spirit that's behind so much. We see back in the ancient world, there was these false religions, these cults. They were led by and worshipped in those cults female deities. There was one called Sibeli. Sibeli was, and again, Jezebel's behind it. And I, I want to show you why I'm saying that. Again, I'm going to take you through some things here. I'm, I'm really trying not to just spout off things. I, I want to show you why I am saying this and why I'm bringing this to you. There's a book, and I'll, I'll read from in a moment. There's a, a book, it's a textbook called The History of Religion. And in there, it talks about how, how when the worship of a female deity spreads, that the high priests and those who worshipped her had to be castrated, that they were transgendered. They were, in those worshipers, they were men that were castrated that would begin to wear women's clothing and dress themselves up as women and go out dancing, go out singing, go out... Honestly, I was reading all this going, that's a drag show. It's what it, what it was. Same day, just a brand new... I mean, it's a same thing that's happening... Same demons at work, just a different day. And even those within the community, within the trans community, they would tell you that Sibeli is the trans god. That's what they call her. She's the trans god. The same spirit, I believe, that was at work in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. In Galatians chapter 3, you see where the Apostle Paul, he's confronting the church at Galatia. And he's coming to them, and they're all confused. And they're being, you know, there's a struggle that's going on there. And this thing has come over them, and Paul's arguing with them. And, what, and Paul says in verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell over you? Who has, where, what is this demonic force that has brought this confusion over you? And why are you listening to it? Why are you giving in to this? There's confusion in the church. Why are you allowing this to happen? And then, and it makes sense when you look at this in, the, in the, this whole context of history, in, in chapter 5, in verse 12, Paul's still going on. He's still, you know, in this same vein of message. And Paul, you know, he speaks to the church about these who are bringing this confusion. And he says, basically saying, why don't all you men just go ahead and emasculate yourselves? I wish they'd just go ahead and do it. Go all the way. Paul's confronting the same thing. He's saying here, you know what? These guys are thinking Jezebelian and they're bringing that thought process and that way of thinking into the church. And you guys are letting it. In, uh, in the fourth century, there was a Christian apologist named Julius Firmicus Maternus. It was during the reign of Constantine. And he wrote about the priests of Sibeli and Attis. And this is what he said about those that were priests of these female gods or goddesses. Little g. Of those priests who served female deities, they wear effeminately nursed hair and dress in soft clothes. They can barely hold their heads up by their limp necks. They have made themselves alien to masculinity, swept up by playing flutes. They call on their goddess to fill them with an unholy spirit. Augustine, one of our church fathers, in, uh, talking about the same subject. This is what he wrote. 
With dripping hair and painted faces, with flowing limbs and feminine walk, they passed through the streets and alleys of Carthage, exacting from merchants that by which they might shamefully live. Augustine is saying one of our biggest problems is we have a bunch of Ahabs that are walking around dressed up like women, feeling like victims and expecting to be compensated by the businesses to pay for the fact that they don't think they should go to work. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Same demons, new day. Now, again, I want to read from the history of religion, this non-Christian textbook. And, and they're saying one of the greatest threats to Christianity in the first century is the, same, is the same threat to Christianity in this century that we're in now. It's transgender sexuality with all God-given restraints that are being removed. And it's talking about the competition between Christians and pagans in the ancient world. And in, in this secular book, it talks about the confrontation between Christians and pagans in the ancient world was often a battle between the believers and transgender priests. This is a quote from the book that they found. It says, These infamous men and their impure, unchaste, and polluted bodies were none other than the Gali, the priests of the gods Sibeli and Attis, whose mystery religion constituted one of early Christianity's major rivals. Time and time again, Christian apologists cited the Gali as representative of all they abhorred in pagan culture and religion, and of all the outrages of the Gali, none horrified them more than the radical manner in which they transgressed the boundaries of gender. And it goes on, talks about how this is a, a unique phenomenon in world history. Wherever there's the worship of the female goddess, the men are castrated, transgendered, and they become the priests, they become the worshipers, and they begin to dress up in makeup and do their hair, go out into public. Again, church, it's a drag show. That's what we call it today. So in the history of religion, they said this. They said that this happens, it said, both globally and historically. What that means is that this, what we're talking about right here, has been happening. Again, this is a secular book, not just Christianity. This is a secular book that says this is happening globally. It's happening all around the world. And it's happening historically. It's happening in a, in a timeline and, and history and, and dates and times. It's happening globally and historically. And we see the difference. It happens in different religions. It's happening in different regions. It's happening in different cultures. It's happening in different languages, different, all, all these things. And this is what's mind-blowing. Because then they, there was the summary, and it said this. What's so interesting is we see these same phenomena everywhere. Worship the goddess castrate the men in these regions and cultures and, uh, and uh, religions and cultures and regions and languages. And he says, and then they said, and we have no way to explain it because they didn't ever intersect and there's no point of connection. How could the same thing be happening all around the globe, all through history, and there's no point of intersection or connection? They're, they're like, we have no idea how this is happening. I do. Same demons. 
Same demons at work. The same demons that are at work, the same spirits that are at work in the Old Testament are the same demons that are at work in the New Testament are the same demons that are at work in our culture today. So, now we get to this place. Don't, you know, I hear from a lot of you at different times as, as I preach and, and teach and share what I feel God's leading me to, to do. That you, Pastor Mark, thank you so much for co- confronting some of these difficult things. I hear that from you. What about when they're difficult things that affect you? So I'm going to share some stuff that are going to affect every one of us. It'll affect your family. This will affect, it will. But you have to decide what you're going to do with it. Because we need to take a look at, so these spirits are at work and we see these spirits at work and and the secular world sees that these are spirits that are at work that are globally and historically happening. They're happening in our day today. So what does it look like? Okay, that's cool when it's all in theory. But what does it look like in our culture today? Let me, let me show you a picture of this guy. This is, a, this is a guy named Miss Pentecost. You go ahead and throw, you can throw the next one up there. It honestly makes me want to throw up in my mouth. This is the United Methodist Church has Miss Pentecost. And this is a drag queen that is being ordained to become a licensed minister. And his ministry is to go into United Methodist churches and to stand in the pulpit where the Bible is supposed to be taught and to teach children about this kind of behavior. This should not be tolerated. This should be repented of. I can't even, just as I can't tell you what's in this brochure that's written in books in our school libraries, I can't even tell you from the pulpit what this person goes into churches and says. And I will say this, the United Pentecostal Church, or the United Methodist Church, has, there are, there's a, a section of them that have broken off and said, you know what, we don't want anything to do with this. But for the majority, this is still part of their acceptable behaviors. Hey, I know that this makes you uncomfortable. I know this makes me uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable talking about all these things. And when we become uncomfortable, and I'm not afraid of becoming uncomfortable, what I really am trying to do in all of this is to give you an idea of, and I hope that your eyes are being opened to seeing a little bit more of what's going on behind the curtain. What is this happening? What, What is it that's going on in the culture in which we live? Why is this all going on? And look, I know that in the uncomfortableness of what we're talking about, the first reaction is going to be, attack the pastor. I'm not the problem. I'm not the problem in all of this. Church, all I'm trying to do is help us to see a little bit of how the Spirit's at work in the world in which we live because this is a monster that's growing and it's powerful and it's taking over our world and our culture and someone has to stop and say no. So if that didn't get your offended toes curled up, (laughs) 
But you have to look at this. How Jezebel and Ahab have, have absolutely confronted our culture in a movement called Black Lives Matter. I know, be quiet because you may be called a racist if you say anything right now. The original Black Lives Matter mission statement, manifesto, was, has been scrubbed from the internet. Okay, and, and listen, if any of you, I'll just tell you right now, if any of you come up to me at the end of service and say, well, Pastor Mark, don't Black Lives Matter? I will say to you, shut up, that's stupid. Of course black lives matter. Every life matters. All racism is wrong. God created us and he made us and he made us exactly the way he wanted to make each and every one of us. And it doesn't matter what color, what nation, what ethnos you're from. God created you. He made you. And the, the world wants to bring division. God wants to bring us together. And one day we're all going to stand in heaven together. Every ethnos, every tribe, every color. And we have got to get past this. Racism is wrong in every form God made us he created us and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for each and every one of us that doesn't go by color it doesn't go by nation it doesn't go by background it goes by human beings so yes black lives matter but this organization has hijacked that statement this movement isn't about black lives mattering. It's a deception. It's, it's false prophecy. Let me read to you part of the original statement, and I'll share with you why I am saying this. This is part of the original statement that said this, we make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. So again, all the other things that may be said this just became a gender issue, a sex issue. We do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege, male, female, and uplift black trans folks, especially black trans women. We build space that is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments which are men-centered. Okay, I, I, you know, to many that just sounds, yeah, that's... We dismantle the patriarchal practice. Church, that means fathers that require mothers to work double shifts so that they can mother in the private even as they participate in public justice works. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Church, I'm sorry, but there is no Western prescribed nuclear family structure. It's God prescribed nuclear family structure. It's man, woman, and kids. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intent of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that in all the world are heterosexuals unless he, she, or they disclose otherwise. Now, how did this movement become so big? I mean, I know why we often think, and I know why some get brought into this, but how did this movement become just so powerful? And the truth is, church, it only became what it's become is because it's spiritual. Yeah. 
This whole thing. And again, I'll I'll say this tongue-in-cheek, but my conspiracy theory coming out here. The whole thing was founded by three women. A counterfeit trinity. Just just saying. (laughs) But all three of them, non-traditional sex and gender roles. And church, this is why I think that this is just completely wrong, because what they're saying, in a nutshell, they're saying, we are anti-Christ. Because church, if you are anti-male-female, if you are anti-father, if you are anti-nuclear family, you are anti-Christ. Black Lives Matter is not just a movement, it's a secular religion. It's a secular religion with a spiritual force behind it. And it's now imposing itself on churches governed by Ahab leaders that won't stand up to the Jezebel spirit. Adweek, an online magazine, they had this, this headline. It said, LGBTQ festival, uh, pride festivals are becoming Black Life Matter protests. And that's what's happening. Church, it is spiritual. Amen? Amen. <sighs> Let's take a look at this. This is a picture of the American embassy in South Korea. First off, we should notice, and again, the, you have to look at the way in which this picture was taken. In the reality of the setting, the American flag is the smallest flag of all of them. The American flag is flying the lowest of all of them. And church, I want you to make no mistake. You know what that is? That right there is a spiritual statement of an invasion. An invasion of a foreign, not a physical power, but a spiritual power and a spiritual kingdom. That is a sign of an invasion. It's demonic. Completely demonic. We have this whole month now in our nation. We have this month. It's called Pride Month. Man, the last I read in my Bible, pride's a sin. Humility is the virtue that God's called us to, not not pride. And this whole pride movement, what have they done? They've hijacked the rainbow, which again is a counterfeit. In the days of Noah, God flooded the earth to judge sinners because in that God was showing us the seriousness of sin to him and he flooded the earth and he took out all of the sinners in that day but then he sent a rainbow and that rainbow was him covenanting with us that he would not send a flood again. That God, he he was saying, I've judged sinners and now I'm going to create a path for forgiveness. And what we have done is we've allowed the Jezebel spirit to hijack the rainbow and to make it something that is a statement that's mocking and defying of God. All right. Well, if that one didn't get you, how about the way in which Ahab and Jezebel have invaded Disney? I'm sorry. To have to be the bearer of bad news, but this is a woman named Latoya Ravenu. 
She is the executive producer of Disney's TV animation. And I'm going to just read a quote that she made. She said this, In my little pocket of proud family Disney, the showrunners were super welcoming to my not-at-all-secret gay agenda. I felt that sense of, I don't have to be afraid to have these two characters kiss in the background. I was just wherever I could adding queerness. And, they said, and she said this, she said, no one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me. Let me just translate that for you, that whole thing. I work at Disney, my name is Jezebel, and my coworkers are named Ahab. They tolerate me so that I can do whatever I want to do. You know, for years, Disney was governed by four keys. For years, Walt Disney, they, these four things. Safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. And in 2020, they added inclusion. Because they wanted to include everything in a tolerant way that God says should be repented of. No longer does Disney welcome people. Welcome men and women, boys and girls. All the gender pronouns are now gone. Disney Plus, they removed shows because these were completely offensive to different people groups. They removed Dumbo, Peter Pan, The Aristocrats, Swiss Family Robinson, Lady in the Tramp. That is so offensive. The Jungle Book. Okay? So, okay, whatever. You know what? They're a company. They can do that if they want to. I, I'm, you know, I'm not here to tell you, hey, you have to do this or do that. I'm just saying they decided that these shows should be removed because they're offensive to different people groups. But on Disney Plus, you will find this. This is a cartoon called Little Demon. In this cartoon called Little Demon, there is a woman who gets pregnant by Satan and has a child, and this child is the, this is the counterfeit of the incarnation, and this 13-year-old daughter that's ministering to our children is the Antichrist. I, I, you know, I want to say this kind of thing right here Church, that is not intended, that is not entertainment. That is evangelism. And this is what this company is trying to introduce and evangelize our children with. The woman, the 13-year-old voice, the, the woman that's the voice of this 13-year-old, she is a, a professing pagan, and she said, I love that we are normalizing paganism. So, church, listen, I, I know that you, and we could go on and on. I know that you're probably, some of you going, what are, what are, why are you telling us all this? What's your motivation here? What are you asking and wanting us to do? Are you wanting us to boycott? Are you wanting us to protest? Are you, no. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm just trying to give you information so that you can do what you feel God leading you to do. My motivation today is not unloving. It's not cruel. I'm not trying to set you up for something. My motivation purely is this. I love you. 
I, I love you. Look, pastors get into ministry. Pastors don't get into ministry because the money's so great. <laughs> pastors get into ministry for the same reason a nurse goes into nursing. I want to help people. There's people that are hurting, and I want to help them. And, and that's why I'm sharing with you what I'm sharing with you, is because I care. I want to help. Look, I wouldn't be a pastor if I didn't love you. And so my question is this. Would it be loving to know that something is hurting people and to just go ahead and not say anything about it even though it's been brought to my attention? Or is it loving to warn them of the danger? That's the question. Because church, and, and again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through this quickly so I'm gonna stay on my notes here. There's so much that I could say, but I wanna get through this with you. Today we live in a day and an age when we have record transgenderism. More than we've ever in the history of our world seen. And we have a time right now where we are feeding our children puberty blockers to deny the natural course that God intended for their body. And we are allowing gender mutilation for minors. And California is trying to make it illegal for you as parents to stop it. In fact, if you try to stop it, you are in child abuse. We are giving our kids hormones to change their molecular makeup, which, by the way, they will have to take for the rest of their life because for the rest of their life, they will be fighting against creation. And now, even as parents, we're not even allowed to know. We're not supposed to even be told because you have teachers and school counselors who know what's better for your kid than you do. And so what is all this that we're talking about? What is all this doing to your mind? What's this doing, you know, what is it doing to your body? You know, all this stuff. What, what's it doing to your soul? Truth is, nobody knows. This is just a big grand experiment. Nobody knows what this is going to do in the long run. Nobody knows how this is going to affect people in the long run. Nobody knows. It's a great experiment, but it's not going well. It's not going well at all. We have this day in which today we have this incredible tolerance for every kind of perspective, every kind of sexuality, every kind of ideology, everything out there. Yet in the same time as tolerance is rising, so is this catastrophic mental health issues that we have going on in our country. We have suicide rates that are skyrocketing at the same rate that our tolerance is going up. Church, we would think that in a time when tolerance was so great and everything was so wonderful and everything was so free-flowing and everything was so open and everything was being so transformed, in a time when all this change was happening, we would think that people would just be flourishing. But they're dying. They're killing themselves. Where are the voices that are going to stand up and say enough? Amen, Pastor Mark. That was good. In these tough sermons, you have to help me. 
I want to read to you some statistics that come from the Pew Research, uh, Pew Research study and some that I wanted to bring from the CDC. You guys, you guys remember, you heard of them, right? Yeah, we're, we're going to follow the science. These studies have shown that what we're seeing now is historic record levels of young men, not in church, not in college, not working, not in relationship, living with their parents, dependent on the government, addicted, broken, fearful, and gender confused. The only place that these men can muster up any real courage is in front of their computer screen, making hateful posts. Literally, what we have today is a whole generation of Ahabs. And this is what's really sad. This new generation, this new generation of young men are four times more likely to take their own lives than young women are. It's not going well for our young men. What about young women? Please listen to these statistics because this is telling. Young women, 14% of young women report being sexually assaulted. And sexual assault amongst young women is the most underreported crime there is. Well, you would think in this day of sexual freedom that things would be so much better, but they're not. 60% of young women, 60% say they have persistent sadness and hopelessness. 41% say they have had poor mental health in the last 30 days. Church, this is not going well for our young women. What about young men and young women? Persistent sadness and hopelessness among young men and women, 42%. In the LGBTQ community, it's 70%. Seven out of 10. Listen to this. 18% of young men and young women have a suicide plan to kill themselves. 18%. One out of five young men and young women have a plan. In the LGBTQ community, it's 37%. What are we doing? 10%, listen to this, 10% of young adults have tried to commit suicide. in the LGBT community have attempted suicide. Church, where is our heart? How can we go along with this? How can we capitulate? How can we just stand by and not stand up? How can we let this go? 40% of high school students, 40% say that they have had at least two weeks a year where they're incapable of functioning due to mental illness. This is an experiment gone horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. And no one's willing to do anything about it. No one's willing to stand up. But I want you to know that there is a God, church. 
There is a God. I'm telling you that there's a God, and I'm telling you that that God made us male and female. And that God gave us a book, and inside of that book called the Bible, he told us how we could live a blessed life, not a cursed one. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world and to die for each and every one of us. And he tells us in this book that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that no man comes to the Father except by him. And in this book... In this book, he tells us that if we ignore that book and ignore what he's declared and what he has spoken, we will defy that God who did all of this for us. And when we sin, we sin against God. We sin against him. And church, we destroy ourselves. Where are we? Where are you? Where are we as a church? Please, I am not telling you this because I hate you. I'm sharing this with you because I love you. I love you and I love your family and I love the generations that are to come. But somebody needs to say this. And if Ahab won't stand up and say it, then there's got to be some Elijahs that will stand up and do it. There's got to be some who will stand up. Because if the Ahabs won't, Elijah has to. And we have this option today. We're in a day and an age where there needs to be some choices that are made. And you will either be an Ahab or you will be an Elijah. Because in the church, there's not going to be able to be both. You can't walk the fence. It's time to make a stand. Because those are our choices. And let me give you just some hope here real quick. Because in the days of Elijah, what Elijah did, what we saw happen, was not just what happened then, but will happen every time. When a man or a woman stands up under the spirit of Elijah and declares, thus saith the Lord, against the dark forces that want to overwhelm you and your family and your family's family, that want to overwhelm your church and your church family and those that are around you, we need to stand up. Because in the day of Elijah, God told him in a difficult moment, God said, hey, Elijah, Listen, I have left 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and have not, mouths that have not kissed him. There is always a remnant. There's always a remnant. There will always be a remnant of people who believe the Bible. There will always be a remnant of people that love God. There will always be a remnant of people that love Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. There will always be a remnant of people who believe the Bible is the truth. There will always be a remnant of people that hate sin. There will always be a remnant of people that know the difference between the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirits. There will always be people who know the difference between a man and a woman, who know the the difference between truth and lies, who know the difference between light and darkness, who know the difference between heaven and hell, who know the difference between repentance and tolerance. You're not alone. You're not. There's a remnant that God has preserved, a remnant that God always preserves. And the reason that he always does is so that he can bring forth revival. We're in a time when revival is at our doorstep. And you know, let me say, for those of you who make this decision and say, you know what? I want to stand in the spirit of Elijah. And I'll give you an opportunity in a moment to stand up. For those who do, I want you to know, Elijah, he came to a place where Elijah felt like he was alone. But he wasn't. And you will feel like you're alone. But you're not. You're not. Elijah came to a place where Elijah was, was wore out. He was exhausted. You know, it's like the fight that I know Lori is making. 
in the library. I know there's times he gets exhausted and gets tired and gets worn down and gets frustrated and gets discouraged, just like all of us will when we begin to stand up, just like you do. Elisha felt that. But I want you to see what happened in that time because in that moment when he was at his deep place of frustration, God came to him. God met him right where he was. And in that moment, God comforts him. God speaks to him. God heals him. God restores him. God renews him. God refreshes him. God resets him. And God revives him. God brought revival through him and put him back into the fight. And church, I'm telling you that our God is a God who is a conqueror. He will not be denied. And in these days and in this time, He is raising up a remnant that will stand and fight. A remnant that will reap exactly what they have sown. And we need to be a people today that will begin to sow into the kingdom of God. That we begin to sow into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We begin to sow into the truth of thus saith the Lord in our lives. We begin to sow into the repentance of sin. We begin to sow into strong marriages. And we begin to sow into strong children strong families, children that will be blessed and not broken. We begin to sow our lives into the kingdom of God that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will be done. Church, there is a God. There is a God and He sent down in the days of Elijah, He sent down fire from heaven. And again then, in the book of Acts, he sent down fire from heaven again. And you and I have a choice. And we have a decision to make as to which fire we're going to come under. Are we going to come under the fire of judgment? Or are we going to come under the fire of revival? But as for us today, the question that we end with is where are the Elijahs? Where are those who will stand up in this Elijah spirit and say, thus saith the Lord? Where are those who will stand against this demonic invasion that has come against our culture and our church? Where are the remnants? Where are those who will stand? Where are those that will declare? Where are those that will rule and, and, and run the way in which God has called us to run the race that he's called us to? Where are the Elijahs today? Where are the warriors today? Come on, church. Where is those who will make a stand for him and for his kingdom? We can no comply. We can no longer comply to the Jezebel spirit. We can no longer cower in the, in the power of the Ahab spirit. But we must stand up in the Holy Spirit and say, thus saith the Lord and the freedom of our lives. Come on, what is God calling, asking, desiring for you to do today? Lord, I pray for each and every life, for each and every conqueror. For you have called us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have endowed us with weapons of warfare. You have equipped us with the Holy Spirit. You have given us the name above every other name. You have given us the authority, Lord God. And today we stand up in repentance for the things we have allowed, for the things that we have tolerated, for the things that we have, Lord God, just turned our head to. And we say, no more. Lord God, we will count the cost and we will stand and fight and we will do it in the spirit of Elijah, the Holy Spirit. So equip us today, Lord. Here I am. Come on, ask him right now. Lord, fill me fresh and new with the fire of God. Lord God, pour out your spirit. Let, Father, me have a, a, an Acts 2 experience with you. Father, overwhelm me, Lord God, with your power, with the call that you have for me. And give me, Lord, the courage that I need to stand up in the day, in the age in which I live. God, you, I'm not here by mistake. 
Lord, I'm not living a generation too late. I am right where you intended me to be, and I want to do everything that you have intended me to do. So thank you for a church that's on fire. Help us, Lord, to stand together, to come against division, and Lord, to to do your will that it be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, amen. Thank you, Lord. go be the church it's time to go be what God has called you to be in the culture in which God has placed you you are right where God wants you to be so go be what God has anointed called and destined you to be right where you are God bless you we got another 12 o'clock service coming in a little bit come on let's sing this as we go and uh make some parking for them. God bless you. Go be the church. Worthy.